Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The secret to catching prize-worthy fish? Fishing like a local. Jonas Knox here with Fishing Booker. The valuable knowledge of a local guide can turn a fishing trip of no bites into the best catch of the day. Go to fishingbooker.com to discover thousands of local fishing charters from all around the world and create your perfect angling adventure with their easy-to-use online booking system. Visit fishingbooker.com and book your trip today. Fishing Booker. Fishing trips made easy. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. Winter is coming. Heavy rain, sleet, snow, and ice. Are your tires up for the challenge? In the season's worst conditions, winter tires are a game changer. They elevate traction, control, and confidence. They sell only the best, like the full line of Kumo tires. Go to TireRack.com slash sports. Tell them what you drive. Your tires will ship fast and free to your one of over 10,000 recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. This is the best of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis on Fox Sports Radio. A big hard part of the NFL is the interpersonal relationship between Jerry Jones and Roger Goodell. And my eyes almost rolled back into my head when I read the uh, when I read the letter that Roger Goodell, uh, sorry, that Jerry Jones sent to the NFL over what he believed were improper actions surrounding Roger Goodell's uh, potential extension that is being worked on right now. And the reason why my eyes rolled back into my head was I said, oh, my God, like this is a battle that is being fought right now over who has more influence over the NFL and over whether Roger Goodell has alienated so many owners that he can no longer continue as the commissioner. Now, yesterday... I floated the idea of Condoleezza Rice as a great idea of a candidate who could come in, reunite the NFL owners, actually stand up to the players who are not standing up for the national anthem, kind of do away with this controversy. Because what I think we can give credit for here is the NBA, either they foresaw that this could be an issue because of Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, or they were just more forward-thinking in general. But... Nobody out there in the media or among the fans is criticizing the NBA for requiring all of its players to stand for the national anthem. And there hasn't been a remote controversy in the NBA at all about the national anthem. And that's because the NBA had a prescribed rule that required you to stand for the national anthem. And as a result, the NBA has avoided all of this controversy that has enmeshed the NFL. Because they were forward-thinking, and maybe they contemplated that this could one day be an issue. And so they have an express rule that you have to stand for the national anthem or you suffer consequences. Now, if you are concerned about the players' First Amendment rights while they're wearing their uniform and all these other things, 
you are not being very intelligent because players have their speech rights restricted to a substantial degree while they're playing football. Let me give you an example. You don't have the right as an NFL player to do celebrations that are beyond what would be expected when it comes to a touchdown, right? You can be penalized, flagged, and fined if you violate the touchdown rule celebrations in some way. Now, I know they've eased up on the restrictions in the NFL of late and led to some funny celebrations, but you are giving away your right to perform maybe as you see fit. You can't go jump into the crowd and run up to the middle concourse and express your excitement over a touchdown without getting a penalty and potentially a fine. You can't even throw a football into the crowd without getting a fine to have to pay for that football. You can't wear the tennis shoes that you want that are, or your cleats that are sponsored by a different team. So there's all sorts of, you're required to wear the uniform of your team on the field. There are all sorts of speech restrictions that exist in football already. So everybody out there who's like, oh, you, you're taking away their First Amendment rights. The tons of their First Amendment rights are being taken away. That's what you call employment. And so the NBA has been smart about avoiding this controversy, and it hasn't hit the NBA in the pocket at all. What Jerry Jones is seeing, and I think he's right about, is this protest is starting to have a negative consequence for the overall business of the NFL, and he believes that Roger Goodell has been too soft in trying to address it. In retrospect, I think the NFL owners probably would say, you know what, we should have instituted a penalty against Colin Kaepernick for kneeling for the national anthem, refusing to stand, whatever it was. We should have instituted a penalty against him right then and there and tried to nip this complaint in the bud before it started to actually hurt our business. So this is one thing that Jerry Jones is upset about is Roger Goodell's inability or unwillingness to get out in front of this protest and actually end it. And the other part of this uh, reason why I think Roger Goodell is not supporting, uh, sorry, why Jerry Jones is not supporting Roger Goodell is this Ezekiel Elliott case. This Ezekiel Elliott case is a total joke. I don't care what side of the equation you're on when it comes to the Dallas Cowboys. I'm telling you as a lawyer The fact that Ezekiel Elliott is being suspended for something that he may not have done at all is a testament to the stupidity of this policy by the NFL to begin with. I've actually read all of these individual storylines. I have read them all. And uh, every every bit of this case surrounding Roger Goodell and, and Ezekiel Elliott, and they blew it. There's no way on earth to justify... Ezekiel Elliott being suspended six games here. If your goal is to only punish people for things that you know they did. And that's the entire purpose of the criminal justice system. Right? We have a standard. Guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. I don't even believe that Ezekiel Elliott, based on what I have read, is more likely than not to have done something wrong here. And I think that's where Jerry Jones is deciding to tee off on Roger Goodell. He's saying, wait a minute. You can't suspend my guy when all this evidence, if you read it, actually works in Ezekiel Elliott's favor. And all of these uh, lawsuits that have been filed and all the court hearings and everything else basically boil down to not did Roger Goodell 
rule correctly when he suspended Ezekiel Elliott. It's did Roger Goodell so exceed his authority in suspending Ezekiel Elliott that you can't uphold this suspension? And that's a really high standard to meet because Roger Goodell has the authority to decide on suspensions. The problem here is, and I talked about this some yesterday, Roger Goodell decided in the wake of the Ray Rice incident, nobody is ever going to accuse me of being soft on domestic violence again. And so who's the next person to come down the pike with a domestic violence-related investigation? It's Ezekiel Elliott. And so Roger Goodell decides, you know what? I'm going to throw the book at Ezekiel Elliott. I'm going to suspend him to the full extent of our rules. And nobody is going to accuse me of being going easy on domestic violence. Well, here's my issue. This is not about the Ezekiel Elliott case. This is about Roger Goodell trying to look tough against domestic violence because he wasn't tough enough with Ray Rice. And so he knows that his job is only threatened if the social media mob comes after him because they decide he's to blame for the punishment that exists in the NFL when it comes to domestic violence. Now, this is stupid. Roger Goodell created this whole mess for himself by deciding that he needed to be in the punishment business to begin with. What he should have done was allow the criminal justice systems to do all these investigations. And if somebody actually violates the law and is convicted, then the NFL could step in and punish somebody. But instead, Roger Goodell decided the NFL needed to be its own investigative body. And so you've got this height of absurdity where Ezekiel Elliott is being suspended six games even though we're not sure that he did anything at all wrong. I don't blame Ezekiel Elliott for fighting this. I don't blame him for trying to take this to the mat because he feels like he was treated unfairly by Roger Goodell, and I think he was. And Jerry Jones is sitting back looking at this saying, man, not only has Roger Goodell totally bungled the response to the protest and hurt our business, and hurt our television ratings, and hurt our overall sponsorship dollars, and, and and done what he claims he's trying to do the most for, defending the shield. He's basically tossed the shield directly into the line of fire, and the shield's getting wrecked, the shield being the NFL logo. Meanwhile, he's also failing when it comes to this Ezekiel Elliott suspension. I think if either of these things had been in existence standing alone, Jerry Jones wouldn't be fighting against Roger Goodell remaining commissioner. But what he's trying to do now by hiring David Boys and writing these letters and potentially threatening litigation is hold on long enough to allow other owners to join him in his belief that Roger Goodell should not be the next commissioner of the NFL. Now, I've already told you who I think the next commissioner of the NFL should be. I think it should be Condoleezza Rice. I think she would come in and do an incredible job And I think she would be a great ally for Jerry Jones when it comes to standing for the national anthem and also not over-punishing guys. Look, just because domestic violence is an issue in this country doesn't mean that every person accused of domestic violence did it. That's an important distinction. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Uh, Last night, obviously, as those of you are waking up, the Seattle Seahawks get the win on Thursday night football over the Arizona Cardinals. And in the process, they lose Richard Sherman for the rest of the year to a torn Achilles. So it was a uh, it was a tough win to be sure. The cost substantial, uh, but uh, in general, it is a uh, 
it is a uh, a messy situation on Thursday night football in general because every time something happens in Thursday night football that is uh, that is not ideal, uh, that is an injury. Everybody comes off and tees off. I saw where Doug Baldwin is teed off on Thursday night football saying that the, that the guys are playing at all is a joke. And I just – I feel like this is something where a good commissioner, one that is proactive and not reactive, and I think the criticism you can give Roger Goodell is that he's been incredibly reactive to issues that arise in the NFL as opposed to preactive, I, uh, proactive. I don't understand why Thursday night football – can't be preceded by an additional bye week for every team that's playing in Thursday night football. Am I crazy for not understanding how this is an incredibly easy solution for these games? Every single, and I think it would make the league better and make the Thursday night football games a lot better, and it would give you extra time to get ready for the game that comes next. Every single team that plays in Thursday night football game, okay, every single team should get a bye week the week before. Why why is this why is this like brain surgery that the NFL doesn't see this? If you are going to play Thursday night football and I'm completely fine with the NFL having Thursday night football, the NFL is making 500 million dollars off of it. Half of that money goes to the players effectively. So the players are making 250 million dollars off this too. Why would you not just build in an extra bye week and have every single Thursday night football team that plays get the week off before their Thursday night football game. I, I don't under like this to me is such a simple solution that I don't understand how it can't be resolved. How can this like for the players to complain, I understand. And for the fans out there, it's a tough turnaround. Your game your teams play on Sunday, you're beaten up Monday morning you got three days to get ready for the next game. The quality of play is going to be down substantially. I understand that. Your body is not trained to turn around and play like that. I would bet that the injury rates are higher in Thursday night football for NFL teams. So why not just put in an extra bye week if every team is going to play a Thursday night football game, which I'm not opposed to, why not just put in an extra bye week and have every single team come off of a bye week before Thursday night football. That seems like it would increase the overall quality of the performance, and then it also gives the players' bodies an extra couple of days to recover before the next game. So it seems like from a health perspective, this is a no-brainer. Help me understand why I can't solve this issue in that way. Jason Martin, Danny G, Justin, Am I crazy on this solution, or does this make complete sense to just build in an extra bye week if you're going to do Thursday night football, build in an extra bye week, give the guys' bodies times to recover, and give them an extra week? Like, I, Is there anybody out there who opposes this at all? Like, and, and the reason why I think this is such an easy solution is I understand a lot of times why politically it's difficult to solve issues because when you change something – the people who have the what's being changed occurring, look at what's going on with tax reform right now in uh, in Washington, D.C. Changing the tax code is incredibly difficult because there are people who like it the way it is and are winning based on the way the tax code is written now. So if you change it, they're going to be upset. But is there a single group out there that would be opposed to an extra week of an NFL season to allow 
for guys who are playing on Thursday to be completely healthy when these games are played and not feel like they're putting their bodies at risk. Can anybody even come up with an argument for why this wouldn't make sense? Extra bye week, it just extends the NFL season one week longer, gives the players' bodies more time to recover. Is there any fan out there that would be opposed to the NFL being 18 weeks instead of 17 weeks in the regular season and your team gets an extra bye week? The way that the NFL rolls with popularity, you'll just watch some other team play instead of your own team. Can anybody even come up with an argument why this doesn't solve the issue immediately? Jason Martin, I'll start with you. No, I mean, this is a no-brainer. And I think that the NFL, what's ridiculous about this is they actually know this because numerous times this year, teams that have played on Thursday night, their next game hasn't been until Monday night football. So they're giving them extra time after these Thursdays, and they end up in two primetime windows where it's just them and one other team playing, which I think is not good for the ratings to see those teams back-to-back in those primetime situations. But, for example, the Seattle Seahawks that played last night, obviously, do not play again until Monday Night Football against the Atlanta Falcons on November the 20th. That, to me, is absurd. They realize that they're trying to give more time between these games, yet they're not going to do it from the Sunday to the Thursday. That is just ridiculous. Add another week to the season. Let's keep guys on the field. We need stars. The NFL right now desperately needs stars. I had somebody write to me after I talked about that rash of injuries and say, well, you got Le'Veon Bell and all that. Who's going, who's watching Le'Veon Bell? Like, who is tuning into an NFL game to watch Le'Veon Bell run the football? No offense to him. He's fantastic. But I need these guys on offense and defense that are stars, even the ones that are outspoken the ones that can kind of transcend the helmet and do something for me and make me want to tune into games like a bad Cardinals team against a Seahawks team on Thursday night. So this needs to be fixed. This is a huge, huge mistake not adding this extra bye week. This is one of the easiest decisions that you've come to that I can agree with. I just I don't even see anybody who would be opposed to it. You know, usually when you change something, there's a group out there that says, no, 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 I like the way it is right now. Who is even opposed to this? Like, this is an example of something that Roger Goodell could do that is proactive, that would help player health, that players would respond to in a positive fashion. L.A., Danny G., uh, and Justin, can you guys even think of an argument for why not to have an additional bye week before a Thursday night football team plays? No, not at all. This is an idea that everybody could get behind. And while we're at it, we get rid of a preseason game or two. Yeah, look, that's a good point. If they wanted to, if they're concerned about how long the season goes on, they could just knock out one of the preseason games. And so that you could still start the same time, but just don't have this extra preseason game. And as a result, like the season could still end at the same time. I can't even conceptualize of an argument for why somebody wouldn't be in favor of giving these teams an extra bye week before they play on Thursday night. I mean, Me I'm either. just, I mean, right? I mean, that, I'm just totally baffled that a solution like this can't happen. And, and, and maybe the calendar is the answer. Maybe they're like, you know what? We can't do this because of the calendar situation. Um, but if that is true, then good Lord, just like get this thing resolved and knock out a, a preseason game. That's a good point, Danny. Like, I mean, Amen. if that is the only, if that is the only obstacle that they are like, oh, you know what, we got to make sure that the season ends when it does now for the Super Bowl. I mean, you put an extra bye week in for the Super Bowl. You know, like you have the NFC and the AFC championship games, 
And then the reason why I think they do that, I think they do it so that the quality of the Super Bowl play will be as high as they can possibly make it. They want the players to be as healthy as they can, and they want the coaches to be as well-prepared as they can be for the Super Bowl. Well, that's only two teams, but you're giving them an extra week of preparation before the Super Bowl happens. Why wouldn't you just do this before Thursday night? And then if guys get hurt like Richard Sherman did last night, the story is not, oh, you know what, their bodies are breaking down. And I would love to see, and I haven't seen the data, are guys getting hurt at higher rates in Thursday night football than they are in other games? I don't know the answer to that. But that's da- that's a data set that I would like to see. For instance, we know that when NBA teams play back-to-back, the injury rate in the second game is a lot higher. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't do them. It just means that if you're a player, you have to understand that your odds of injury go up precipitously because your body's being put through a more severe, strenuous back-to-back game. So they've tried to eliminate as many back-to-backs as they can. And, and what you've seen is a lot of coaches have rested their guys and said, you know what, I don't need you to go back-to-back in these games. But is it actually a higher injury rate? I don't know. No. But I, I think, first of all, we don't have enough data points to be able to figure out the answer to that. Because the Thursday well, night football game... according to the NFL, game, we do. Yeah, but the NFL is... I almost cursed there. But the, if you read League of Denial, the NFL is frequently full of crap when it comes to actual data. And the Thursday night football games are so recent that I don't think we have enough games, honestly, in the data set to be able to determine whether or not there are significant injuries arising from Thursday night football. But the easy answer is... Just put a bye weekend, it eliminates all of this, and it solves the problem. And this, to me, is really the essence of why Jerry Jones is challenging Roger Goodell with potentially this lawsuit. Because he has recognized that Roger Goodell has not been very good at seeing the controversies that are going to arise and responding to them. Instead, he has reacted after the controversy has already arisen. Well, if you are driving... The, the, the NFL bus, the job of the guy who's in charge of, uh, of this uh, situation, who's getting paid $40 million a year, is not to suddenly run full speed into a traffic accident. It's to see the issue coming down the road and find a way for the NFL to avoid it. And so far, they have not been able to do it, which is a frustrating aspect of this entire process. If I am an NFL owner, I'm saying, wait a minute, I'm kind of on Jerry Jones's side. What has Roger Goodell done to be proactive to avoid controversy that hurts the league? Look, the NBA, and I, I was talking about this earlier, the NBA, I think, deserves immense credit for the fact that all their players stand for the national anthem and they had this policy in place before it ever became a controversy. The NFL could have, three years ago, put in an official rule that everybody had to stand for the national anthem. And before somebody starts protesting, then there would have been a policy in place of, okay, if you want to protest the national anthem, here's your fine, here's the next step, this is exactly what we do. And I've said this from the get-go. If you were Roger Goodell and you thought about this, what I always say is, if you're a good steward, a good leader, you have your people out there thinking about not what the controversy is right now, You're not trying to get out there and put fires out after they start. You're saying, hey, let's see if we can avoid the fire ever starting to begin with. What can we do to be proactive to avoid ugly controversies for this league? And what Roger Goodell should have had people doing 
is thinking about something like this, here's an easy solution he could have put in place. Three years ago, if you could go back in time, the NFL could have mandated players stay for the nat- stand for the national anthem, and they could have put in a fine system if they don't stand for the national anthem, and all of the money for not standing at the national anthem could have gone to wounded warriors. I'm just tossing this out there as an example. And then there wouldn't have been this strong patriotism controversy, I don't think, because if a player chose not to stand for the national anthem, all of the money for their fine for not standing going to wounded warriors or some such organization devoted to veterans. And by the way, thanks to all the veterans service here on Veterans Day uh, as we celebrated on this Friday. That would have been a solution that made total sense. Would have made total and complete sense. And I don't understand why that wouldn't have been resolved. I don't. And so I understand completely why Jerry Jones is combating the idea of Roger Goodell coming back as commissioner because I think Roger Goodell has actually created more controversies than he solved. And the personal conduct policy, and I've been on this for a decade, is literally the dumbest thing that I've ever seen a commissioner do in the history of my life as a sports fan. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. He's the most active man on Twitter. He's become the most popular man on Twitter. He is Lane Kiffin, head football coach of Florida Atlantic, who is on an absolute roll. Lane, I want to start here. At any point when you took the FAU job, I always like to ask this question to people. A lot of times when you switch jobs, there's a moment where you think, oh my God, what was I doing? This is a crazy decision. I don't care what the job is. I feel like at some point you have that thought. First of all, have you ever had that thought or are you so confident it never even crosses your mind? Because every job I feel like at some point that I've had that's like a professional job, I've been like, holy hell, what have I gotten myself into here? When you went back to being a head coach, did that moment ever happen for you? Has it ever happened for you before in your coaching career? Um, yeah, you know, it, it probably did here. Um, probably two things. Probably, you know, the first team meeting where I went in there and, you know, used to these big places, Alabama, USC, Tennessee, you know, these great places with all these facilities and everything. And go in and, you know, the team's in there. You know, some of the chairs are broke. You know, the backs on the chairs are broken. The tape tables don't work on them and 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 looking around like they got a lot of really small guys like small (laughs) small and that day I was like gosh like you know how how long how long will this take you know because because it was just so foreign for me like one of our coaches said you know we were watching guys on film and and recruits and I was like oh I wouldn't take that guy I wouldn't take that guy coach you need to adjust your lenses like, what do you mean? It was a coach that was familiar with the conference and this level. He's like, you got to adjust your lenses. Like, you're so, like, you've only been trained one way of evaluating players at the highest level. Like, you, you don't get those guys, you know, at this level. So you've got to, to look differently, adjust your lenses. And so I always remember him saying that. And went out for our first off-season workout and, you know, started the fourth quarter program, conditioning, all the stuff, running around. And, like, you know, guys can – couldn't even come close to finishing the, the workout program that we were used to everyone being able to finish. So um, I think that was kind of like, wow, like, all right, you know, how long will this take? Um, but, but it's just, been, it's been really neat to see these kids just buy in. And, you know, I said it the other day and I know coaches say this all the time. And I know you know that I don't just say things to, you know, to, you know, to try to say the right thing, but this has been our most fulfilling year of coaching by far, because I really feel like, 
you know, when you're young, you kind of like, you're, you're, you're kind of doing things for yourself. You know, your, your enjoyment of winning is really about, okay, hey, you know, can I get the next job? You know, can I, how fast can I move up? You know, what bowl game are we going to go to? And now it's really like, it's not that at all. Now it's like, I'm doing it for them. And I'm watching them, you know, celebrate in these locker rooms and sing the fight song like, you know, like they won the, like they won the Super Bowl. You know, that's what it's like every Saturday night. They're so excited because they haven't done it. You know, they just beat Marshall for the first time in the history of the school. You know, they beat Middle Tennessee for the first time in nine straight years. You know, they're bowl eligible, you know, um, you know, for, I don't know, for 10 years or something since they've been to a bowl. So it's been so neat just to see these kids be rewarded for the hard work that they put in. It's interesting. People who are hearing you say that are going to say, my God, this sounds like a mature Lane Kiffin. Um, and, and, and I'm curious for you. And look, I'm a young guy who's done a lot of crazy things over the years. I'm sure you have, too, in your career. How much different, yeah, over the years. How much different does it feel to you now coaching than it would have, for instance, when you were on the sideline with the Raiders? Like, if you went back in time now, and Lane Kiffin, who is 31 years old or whatever the heck you were when you took over the Oakland Raiders in the NFL, saw Lane Kiffin today, like a decade later roughly, what would what do you think you would be most surprised about for the difference in the way that you behave as a coach and the way that you kind of go about your job? Like what do you think would most shock 31-year-old Lane Kiffin about the person you are today? Well, I think usually I've just always lived in the moment and I've always been like, okay, just, you know, question comes up, whatever it is, think quick, react, and, and do it. And, you know, I think that probably just with anyone with age or, you know, more experience, you know, you slow down and you just you think completely different now, you know, and, and it kind of goes back to that, you know, selfish thing really, you know, and, and I reflected on it this week because I was doing some interview and they were asking some tough questions about, and I was going back in my head thinking, God, you know, it really was, you know, when you when you first start, in a profession, you know, how fast can I, you know, how much money can I make? How fast can I, can I go? Can I be the, the, the youngest head coach ever? All these things. And then you just think completely different now. And, um, and it's just, it's, you're very different and you're in a very different place. And, and it's really, um, you know, it's like, I would hope anybody would, you know, 10 years later in their profession or their marriage or their life or parenting, whatever, that you get better and, and, and you learn from mistakes and, and, you go and you you take, all right, these are good things, these are bad things, all right, how can we get better, you know? And so you're just in a lot different place. If I had told you in August your team was going to be in first place in Conference USA coming up in mid-November, would you have believed me? I would have. I probably wouldn't have believed if you would have said, you know, the, the margin of victories in a lot of the games, you know, and, um, and you know, um, all the records and stuff, you know, being set on offense and, and those things, I probably probably wouldn't have known that would happen that fast. But I'm not surprised that that these kids are in first place, you know, because because the way that they worked. What makes your offense so successful? Um, I think it's really again, you know, always learning, always growing. I think that we've we've combined two really really tough things. You know, we have a system that goes you know, as fast as anybody in the country, you know, the Baylor system that's done that for years and, you know, has success wherever it goes. And, and, and that's really what the majority of our system is. And then we've also combined, you know, kind of what I call, you know, problem plays or problem formations as far as like rocket motions and, and those things that we were doing in Alabama. And so now, you know, defensive coordinators, you know, or, you know, or head coaches, we talked before the game, so, wow, you know, this is, it's really hard to defend because nobody's really, combine two things like this you know you're basically combining 
you know, one system that is built off of, not off of speed, but our system for years, you know, USC and then Alabama was built off of problems, you know, that give defensive problems. And that's one of the experiences of sitting there for three years with, I think what I got to do. I sat in three years of meetings, really long meetings, <laughs> with Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, and Jeremy Pruitt. And I just listened to them talk all the time about what they didn't like to play, what gave them problems each week and stuff. So you have that and you combine it with, you know, Kendall, Kindle system of, of warp speed or whatever you want to call it, you know, that that's that's a problem, you know, for defenses. Do you think you guys have the best offensive system in college football right now? Oh, I don't know that. Um, you know, um, I'm just always trying to learn, and I'm, I get to learn from Coach Browse. And, you know, just two nights ago, you know, we were done with game plan, and I sat here and put on UCF, you know, you know, who's number one in the country in scoring. So, you know, to try to see if I can learn something from them. So, um, there's a lot of great systems out there, and um, a lot of people doing some really unique things in college football. You say you are. What I like about you, uh, Lane, is one, you just say exactly what you think, which is rare. Two, you're also a huge college football fan. Like you're just a junkie for college football and football in general. You mentioned you watch UCF. I know you've got your bunker mentality where you're getting your team ready. But what else have you seen so far in college football? You mentioned Kirby Smart, who you worked with for several years. You mentioned, obviously, Nick Saban. Have you gotten a chance to watch those Georgia and Alabama teams play that much? A little bit. A little more Alabama, I think, just for whatever reason, with timing of games, you know, um, by when we play and they play, um, and a tiny bit of Georgia. Um, but, you know, it's uh, it doesn't surprise me at all. You know, Kirby, you know, took – the Alabama system and went to a great place like Georgia and implemented it. And I'm sure he, you know, changed a little bit of his own ideas, um, you know, and um, he's doing a great job. Shoot, again, just learning and always, I just, I've been texting with him this week, you know, asking him things about his practice plan and structure and, you know, is he doing the things exactly like Coach Saban or, or is he changing some things and stuff, you know, just trying to learn from the people that are, that are doing the best in the country. Do you think Alabama and Georgia are the two best teams in the country? You know, I, I would not – this will surprise you, but I'm not an expert on that because, cause, you know, we do so much with our own team and playing and stuff. I don't get to watch it like you guys do and, and follow all of it. You know, so I, I just, you know, see highlights or scores. So I would not be an expert in that. Um, but from what I've seen, you know, it sure seems like that. You know, to me it seems like college football is a little bit down at the top. You know, you don't have, you know, a lot of just – phenomenal teams that are that are playing great you know i don't know why it is i don't know if it has to do with so many juniors leave early but it doesn't seem like college football you know has you know 10 great teams to argue about who should be at the top you know so that's kind of i don't, I don't know why that's happened but maybe it's because all the good players are at alabama <laughs> we're talking to lane kiffin uh lane you said um something i thought was interesting about you had to adjust your your the way that you look at talent in terms of recruiting at FAU as opposed to being at Alabama or SC or Tennessee for that matter, where you could go after maybe the best player who's on the film. Is that going to help you down the road in recruiting? Because now you're almost having to specialize in diamonds in the rough, whereas in before you could just go find diamonds. Yeah. My, my dad used to always say um, all the time, he's like, he would hire coaches in the, at the NFL in Tampa, you know, and he hired Rod Marinelli and Mike Tomlin and, and Joe Barry, all these guys, um, Raheem Morris, almost all the guys he'd hire would be from college. And I was confused, like, why aren't you just hiring NFL guys? Because that's the highest level. And he's like, 
the best coaches aren't necessarily in the NFL. It's like some of the best coaches you'll see will be at high schools when you go recruiting and, or at smaller colleges because they have to develop players. In the NFL, you don't have to develop them. If they're not doing it, you just cut them and get new ones. Well, you're at a smaller smaller school. You've got to find players. You've got to develop them. You know, you can't just, okay, you know, move on, go transfer, and, you know, get a, get a bunch of, you know, five stars to come in. So I think that does, I think that does help you a lot as, as coaches. And um, I think it made sense. You know, why my dad was always like, I don't want to hire guys that have been in the NFL 15, 20 years, you know, that are just taking their seventh job in the NFL because they just rotate around, you know, go find guys that are great teachers and great evaluators. You, um, you know, it's kind of in, intriguing in that respect too. When you take over the FAU job, before you take over FAU, do you go watch some of their old tape to see what kind of talent they have, or do you go in and interview almost blind? I don't know what most coaches do, but is that something where you've done some research on the FAU talent beforehand and you think, okay, I see some parts I could work with, or is it just something where you interview with the guys who are in charge of FAU and you like them enough that without even spending much time looking at the talent, you take the job? No, you 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 do both. You hit on the two two things that you do for sure. You know, you look at as much as you can. You know, talk to um, you know maybe people in the conference, or um, I actually talked to to the last coach, Coach Partridge. You know, on the phone. So um, just to see where is the program, what you know, is young team, and this was a very very young team that returned a lot of good players um, from a team that struggled the year before, but you know had some highlights with some certain players. And then, you know, that's probably the second most important thing because you can recruit and change a program. But the first most most important thing is, you know, what is the structure? What What is, you know, the president? You know, um, what is the idea? What is the plan? And so, you know, I interviewed for a couple jobs. And actually, on the day I interviewed for this job, I interviewed for another job that you would consider to be a bigger, better job. And I walked out of the meeting with FAU and, and said these guys get it you know this president you know dr kelly he was he'd been at clemson for 20 some years and he had a plan and he was telling me their plan which is abnormal usually the president's not even in the interview you meet him after you get the job but but he had a plan about okay he knew what Dabo did at clemson how that changed changed the university how that changed the attention on the university once they started winning how that changed out-of-state applicants i just was talking about them yesterday and he said they're up this year already you know just from the attention on the football program so because he had a plan of what to do and was going to give you the things you know assistant coaches you know salary pool that's a big deal you know your assistant coaches are the, the lifeline of your program and so you know gave us the most in the conference so we could go hire these coaches you know to come here to help develop this program Talking to Lane Kiffin, head coach FAU, they're in first place in Conference USA. Uh, you were mentioning college versus pro coaches, and i got to ask you because this has turned into, you'll probably have seen this on Twitter, uh, John Gruden. Like, Tennessee fans are obsessed with whether John Gruden might come back and coach in college football. You know John Gruden a little bit. Obviously, he's had connections to your family over the years. Do you think John Gruden will ever coach again? And if he ever coaches again, do you think he'll coach in college football? Um, I, I do know Coach well, and um, actually text with him some some things and some ideas of scheme and stuff. Or I'll send a video of something that I see or something, send it to him because um, he he is a genius when it comes to offense. Um, and I don't mean to speak for him. I would be shocked. You know, not he's never said this. I'd be shocked that he would he would go coach college football. You know, he was a GA at Tennessee, whatever, twenty thirty years ago, um, and he's he loves the NFL. 
you know, and you can see his passion, you know, when he, when you hear it on Monday night football. So, um, I would not be surprised if, if he did coach in the NFL, you know, with the, with the right, you just like talk about being more mature and, and getting older, you know, you know what you want. And so I'm sure it would have to be a special place, you know, with the right um, ownership, the right amount of control so that he could do things his way. We're talking to Lane Kiffin. All right, I got to ask you this too. So you've won us some money here. I love to gamble on college football. You're up seven. A lot of people had FAU minus six and a half. You also tweeted about this. At any point in time when you – like, so take me through the decision to take the safety there. So you're up seven. Uh, like you said, you hadn't beaten Marshall, and they had never beaten Marshall, I think, at FAU before. Uh, Marshall comes down and scores on like a fourth and 15 against you, I think. Um, but when you – what happened in that play? What happened in your mind? Um, you know, those, those are situations that you go over, you know, every, um, Friday we go over all kinds of situations that, you know, kind of once in a year, once in a lifetime situations. And one of them is take a safety there and buy as much time you hold on it. So, you know, because they have to decline the penalty so you can hold and it doesn't hurt you. So, um, we were just mastering the situation. And so rat poison involved at all? <laughs> I don't know. Again, as I've, as I've said before, I don't. People think like I have this huge like marketing plan. I sit down every day you know, for an hour <laughs> with the team and figure out what I'm going to tweet. People just. I have buddies, friends, or, or people, you know, our GAs or something like that, and they like literally send me stuff and they get a kick out of when I retweet it. So somebody sends me something and I hashtag something, and I send it out. It takes about ten seconds. Uh, Lane, good luck. I hope you cover against uh, Louisiana Tech this weekend. No pressure, but I gave you out as the pick. So if we get any more safeties like that, we're going to have to have major major consultations. Good stuff, my man. You're on a roll. I appreciate the time. All right, Clay. Thanks. Have a good weekend. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge Podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Carol G. Juan Gabriel. Christina Aguilera. What do these three have in common? You mean apart from impeccable style, chart-topping canciones, and drama? Facts, yes, all of the above are correct, but most importantly, they're some of the biggest Latin icons in the world. And they're just a few of the game-changing Latin stars we're covering in Becoming an Icon Season 2. 
Listen to Becoming an Icon on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 